Good morning, everyone. This is Pastor Troy Bond with the Raven Institute of Ministry and Biblical Studies. Coming to you live from sunny central Florida, right here in Daytona Beach. Good to have everyone here with us today on another day that the Lord has made. That we come to rejoice and be glad in it. If you are joining us for the very first time, this is the Raven Institute of Ministry and Biblical Studies, which is a ministry of Raven Ministries International. If you want more information on Raven Ministries International, go to our website at www.biggrace.com. www. I'll get that down here in a minute. www.biggrace.com, and you can check out the ministry of Raven Ministries International. Not only you'll find out information about uh, the Raven Institute, our daily Bible class, that we're here Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. until 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time with an expository teaching on the Word of God. But you'll find out outreach ministries and different things that are going on through the ministry all across the United States, Canada, and even into Mexico and the places that the Lord Jesus would send us in the future as well. We'd appreciate you going on there, checking it out. If you have questions, comments on the website, on the ministry, uh, send those to raven at biggrace.com, R-A-V-E-N at biggrace.com. I'd love to answer any questions that you have, comments, or if you've got something going on that we need to be aware of to be praying for you or help you in some type of way, by all means, please let us know because we'd love to be a, a part of what God is doing in your life and in your part of the, the country or your part of the world for that matter. And just uh, to believe and to stand with you and believe that God's going to just continue to extend a, a net of mercy and of salvation to all those who would believe upon his name. And so go check that out. We'd love to have that. If you have prayer requests, you can send those to pray, P-R-A-Y, at biggrace.com. Pray at biggrace.com. We want to lift up your prayer request to the Lord Jesus Christ because we believe that he is still a God that answers prayer. His hand is not short and that he cannot heal here. His, uh, uh, he's still in the miracle working business and saving, delivering, touching people's lives. And we'd love to lift up your prayer request to the Lord and have our team uh, pray with those as well. So once again, thank you so much for being with us. And if you, like I said, if you have questions, hold those to the top of the hour and or send those to raven at biggrace.com. We'd love to answer any of your questions. We are in a study on the revelation or the unveiling of Jesus. And I believe today is our 22nd class, 22 classes into it. But if you've not been with us in the past, check the website, the Raven Institute. And what we do is when we get five classes, we'll put those up on the website. And there's, I think there's what, 15 something, 16 classes that are up on the website right now that you can go and download. So all but the last, uh, the last week of classes. And so those will be up this weekend. You can go in there and check those out. They're able to download those for free on our uh, on MP3 format. Uh, use them, copy them, pass them around, make a frisbee out of them. However you want to handle it, they're they're for your listening pleasure and for your uh, instruction in the Word of God. So take advantage of that. They're there, and uh, we'd love to get your feedback on those as well as you listen to them. Hey, along those lines, uh, I've had people that have have gone on and listened to those later, not on the live broadcast. And they've wondered, hey, can we ask a question even though it's kind of past or we're not in the live? Absolutely. You know what? Uh, anytime. You don't have to just be a part of the live class to be able to ask questions or to get some further explanation. Just ask those questions and send those to Raven at BigGrace.com, and we'll be glad to get those. If you are in the live format and it's something pertinent to our discussion, we'll try to answer that live on the air because chances are if you have a question about something, there's someone else that has a question about it too but just did not take the opportunity to to inquire about their, their questions. So do that. We want to be a part of that. We're here just to uh, to give you what God has entrusted us with and to get your feedback on it. Maybe God's showing you something that we just did not look at, and we'd love to, to have that as well because we're the body of Christ fitly joined together, each one supplying the need of the other. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Ask for his blessing on this time of teaching and uh, on our uh, 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 this word as we study it, that God has give the mind of Christ and for those that have physical and other type of needs this morning. Father, we just come to you right now. In the precious holy name of Jesus. Father, I thank you, Lord God, that, that we have access today. 
that we have access by the shed blood. And, Father, one day we're going to have access into your presence by that same blood, Lord God. It's going to be that same blood that has cleansed us. It's that same blood, Lord God, that stands as an everlasting promise and a covenant, Lord God, that, 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 that we are your children, Lord God. It's that blood that cries out, not guilty. It's going to be that same blood, Lord God, that is a part of that voice that says, Come up here and I'll show you those things which must come to pass. Father, I thank you that today it's not because of our own works, our own acts, our own goodness. Lord God, our own abilities or talents, Lord God. Father, what's going to give us access into your presence, Lord God, is our faith in the finished work of the cross of Calvary, Lord God. And Father, we thank you for the cross. We thank you, Lord God, that Jesus was not just wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities, but Lord God, also that the chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes that were healed. Lord God, when Jesus died and he said it's finished, Lord God, every sin, every tendency, every addiction, every bit of uh, depression, Lord God, every bit of stress, and Lord God, every sickness and disease, Lord God, was laying upon him. Father, that lamb slain before the foundations of the world as he bore all of those sufferings, Lord God, in his body, Lord God, for our benefit. And so, Father, we come by way of the cross and by way of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray today for each one of my brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord God, those here in this nation and those that are, are with us, Lord God, abroad and other nations, Lord God, especially nations right now that are suffering uh, severe, Lord God, types of persecution. Father, the, 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 the difficulties, Lord God, that are going on in, in, in the Middle East, Lord God, and even in the, the Near East, Lord God, in places like Pakistan, Lord God, in Afghanistan and, and uh, India, Lord God, the trouble, Lord God, that's, that's there. Father, we just pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are there, Lord God, that, Father, they would not grow weary in well-doing, Lord God, but in due season, Lord God, they would reap if they would not faint. Father, let them see, Lord God, that their labor is not in vain, Lord God, that you have put them, Lord God, in one of the most strategic, Lord God, areas of this world, Lord God, to do something glorious and powerful for them and through them, Lord God, as well for your kingdom. So, Lord God, minister to them, touch them, Lord God, those that are suffering persecution, Lord God, in China, Lord God, in Indonesia, in various other places, Lord God, Central, Lord God, in South America. Father, even in this nation, Lord God, and in, and in Europe, Lord God, Father, those that are suffering, Lord God, for the sake of the gospel, Father, I pray that you'd strengthen them, Lord God, you'd give them endurance, Lord God, that they might run the race, Lord God, unto its completion, Lord God, that they might stand before you as good and faithful servants, Lord God. Strengthen us all, Lord God, Father, just cause, Lord God, to, or the, the resolve of your spirit, Lord God, just to well up in us, Lord God, in a new and fresh way. And Father, we pray for those that are sick, Lord God, and Father, we thank you that you are a healer. Lord God, the word says that you sent your word to heal us, and we know that Jesus, Lord God, is the healer. And so, Father, touch, Lord God, those that have been sick, Lord God, those that have been diseased. Father, those that have been battling, Lord God, just problems, Lord God, even time, this time of year, flu, Lord God, and viruses. Father, we pray that those things would be arrested by the blood and by the name of Jesus, Lord God, today. That, Father, your, your people would be well and healed and sick, Lord God, healed from their sickness and strong, Lord God, in the power of your might. Father, they might be an effective witness and a testimony, Lord God, and, and Father, a worker, Lord God, in these fields of harvest. Now, Father, bless this day. Father, we just ask you to be with us. Give us the mind of Christ. Father, just help our understanding and comprehension, Lord God. Help me be able to, Lord God, speak clearly, Lord God, and, 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 and with clarity, Lord God, and with understanding, Lord God, your people, Lord God, that we might be able to extract from your word every word and every idea, Lord God, every thought, every bit of power, Lord God, every bit of truth that you would have for us today. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen and amen. Are you still excited about serving and, and, and 
studying the Word of God. You know, folks, it really is. It's kind of like that, that, that spiritual salt lick, you know. We are the salt of the earth. And, you know, you, you lick that salt and it just makes you thirsty. You just want more. You want to get in deeper and deeper and deeper. And, you know, for myself, especially with this, I, I love studying the Revelation because of what it is. It is that unveiling of Jesus Christ to us. And I want to know Him more. I want to have a more thorough understanding of Him. Because when we, when we have an understanding of Jesus and we know Him intimately, as a result, we have a, a more thorough and ultimate understanding of his word and what i mean by that is you know he was the word that became flesh we know that from john chapter one that he came and dwelt among us and so if i want to understand where he's coming from i need to know him if i want to read his word i can't just read him have you ever talked to somebody maybe on the streets or somebody you worked with or somewhere else that they seem to have a fair quote-unquote knowledge of the word or they be they could i'll put it this way they could quote biblical things but they were forever learning but never coming to the knowledge of the truth Folks, there's a whole lot of difference between knowing a lot of Bible and knowing the truth. Big, you can quote scripture, you can quote, you know, 31,101 verses of scripture verbatim and never come to the knowledge of the truth. It could just puff you up. We've got to come to a place where we just don't know what he said, but why he said it. It'd be like, you know, Melly and I have been married 22 years. You know, I may say something that somebody that doesn't know me may misinterpret or misunderstand. But because of her intimate knowledge of me over the course of a long time, she knows where I'm coming from. And folks, it's the exact same way with the Word of God. Uh, sometimes it's like, well, how do you know that? Well, because I know Him. Well, where did you come to that? Well, I know Jesus. I know what He means by that because I have a, an understanding of who He is. And folks, you've got to come to that place. You've got to spend the time uh, in prayer. You've got to spend the time knowing Jesus, worshiping Him. And what that's going to do is that's going to open your heart and mind up really to a thorough understanding of the Word of God. You know, the Spirit of God will lead and guide us into all truth. When? When He's within us. When the Spirit of God has come upon us and not just with us, but He is in us according to the promises of the Gospel of John chapter 14. And so we've got to constantly strive to say, Spirit of God, lead me, teach me, understand. Folks, listen. You're not going to get... That understanding by sitting in Bible colleges and seminaries, you're not going to get that. You're going to get that by spending that intimate time in the Word of God with Him. Certainly God has brought teachers and people into our lives. Obviously, we're in a format much like that. But it's coming to a place where I know Jesus to the degree that He is speaking life to me. That His Word doesn't isn't just something printed on a page, but it is it's rhema. It's a living Word that it's quickened to me. And he is just bringing the revelation, the unveiling of Himself through His Word. So I really encourage you to, to do that. You know, we've been studying and examining the, the, the this first verse in the fourth chapter of the book of Revelation the past couple of days, with really our primary focus kind of being the subject of the rapture of the church. And, and really kind of specifically, it's, it's, it's the, the promise and the timing of it as well. You know, today we're going to continue along this, uh, this venue and hopefully kind of establish that foundational basis uh, for the teaching of what I call, you know, a pre-tribulation uh, rapture of the overcoming church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I like to put it that way, a pre-tribulation rapture of the overcoming church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, you know, I've said before, there's, there's so much debate that, that goes on between those adhering to a, a, a pre-trib rapture, such as myself, and those who hold to either a, a mid-trib or a mid-wrath or a pre-trib belief in regards to the rapture of the church. You know, but folks, I believe that, and I've said this, and I've touched on this before, that the crux of the issue can really be solved through a very careful and systematic look at the totality of God's Word. And by clarifying that a true pre-trib theological belief 
is not synonymous with this modern-day escapism that, that tends to teach that every single person who's ever walked an aisle or ever repeated a sinner's prayer will just suddenly be snatched away at the rapture of the church indiscriminate as to whether their lives measured up to the bare essentials of the Christian faith or not. I do not believe that that's going to happen. I believe that it's going to be a remnant. It's going to be that what that, that overcoming church of the Lord Jesus Christ, not just those that have joined the, the, the Baptists or the ranks of the Pentecostals or the Methodists, to the Catholics, but those that, that are intimate and have a, have a close relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. Revelation 4, verse 1. He says, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was, as it were, a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up here, and I will show you things which must come hereafter. And so he starts out, and we talked, touched on this, After this... After this, and you know, contextually, this after this is referring to that period of nearly 2,000 years that, that John uh, uh, was allowed to see kind of unfold before him as he began to describe all the happenings from the, the, on the seven church eras from Ephesus all the way up to, to Laodicea. And again, remember that the term church, and we've said this before, and you need to always think about this when you're studying Revelation. Church, the term church was used 16 times in those first three chapters. Uh, but it's not used in the chapters 4 through 18, which deal with the, the tribulation period. You know, let me ask you this. Would Christ suddenly, and, and I want to bring this up to get you thinking about something. Would Christ just suddenly abandon the usage of a term and, and forget his bride in the midst of what could be termed probably the most cataclysmic event that the world has ever uh, known? You know, the answer is absolutely not. He, he would not forget that. You know, we know from Romans 8 that what's going to separate us from, from the love of God will... Tribulation was one of the things in that list. Absolutely not. And so he's not going to suddenly just forget who we are or forget that intimate uh, language that he's utilized for us that he used all the way. You know, we look in the book of Ephesians when he's talking about the relationship with Christ in the church and how it's like a husband and wife. Would he just suddenly forget that after spending all this time talking about these two? Absolutely not. So there's got to be a reason why they're not mentioned. My belief in, 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 in those who would hold to this pre-tribulation rapture, the overcoming church of the Lord Jesus Christ, is that they're not there. They're not a party to this, and it's not d describing them. That's, that's the only reason, because we're certainly not going to be ignored by Him. You know, I think when, where many are tripped up is just in the understanding of the purpose of the tribulation itself. And so if I don't know the purpose of something, I'm never going to know a reason. You know, it's kind of like you instructing your children, and you're, you're wanting to teach them a lesson in something. So you go tell them to do something. Well, why? They don't see the purpose. I don't see. Some of you guys remember uh, when I think I think I was probably in high school. It's probably that old. The the movie Karate Kid came out. Here you go, this actor. I think he's uh, Ralph uh, Macchio. He was uh, he wanted to learn karate, and so he goes to uh, Mr. Miyagi, and Mr. Miyagi he said he'd teach him, but he has him washing cars and painting fences, and he's wax on, wax off, up, down, up, down. And he don't see the purpose in it. And so he gets frustrated at the, at the reason for it. And I think a lot of the, the reason people get uh, kind of sideways in regards to, the, uh, to the, the, the talking about the tribulation period or even the rapture of the church, they don't understand the purpose in it. They, just, they, they think it's just some redundant task that they just don't need to really concern themselves with. But if we'll really look at it for what it is and understand it's not a time for God to fix His church. The, the church was fixed... Uh, and we as the church are fixed when we put faith in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God comes upon us. But it's the time to bring back and complete that covenant that he made with the Jews. And so in your notes, but the tribulation is the time that God has, has brought forth to, uh, to, to, to restore 
or to renew the covenant that he made with the Jews through Abraham. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to give you four reasons. I don't think I'll probably get, I doubt I'll get through four of them, all four of them today, but I'll get through four of them uh, over the course of the next uh, day or so. Uh, that that really probably serve to uh, some reasons what the church why the church will not be a party to or a participant in this seven year period of time and and I'll, I'll give you the first one this is probably what we'll talk about uh, through the course of today's lesson number one the reason that I believe that the church will not be a part of the the tribulation is the tribulation is a time of suffering designed to bring Israel back to the covenant that God made with Abraham the tribulation is a time of suffering. Number one, designed to bring Israel back to the covenant that God made with Abraham. Think about this just for a second. The book of Jeremiah, chapter 30, verse 7. The book of Jeremiah, chapter 30, verse 7. Here's what he says. He said, Alas, for that great, that day is great. And if you're in Jeremiah 37, underline that. Alas, for that great day. For that great day. It says, Alas for that great day, so that none is like it, and it is a time of Jacob's trouble, but he be, shall be saved out of it. Okay? Alas for that day is great, so that there is none like it, and it is the time of Jacob's trouble, for he shall be saved out of it. Jeremiah 30 and 7 is talking about this time of Jacob's trouble, and that's this seven-year period of tribulation. And so, 30, Jeremiah 30 and verse 7, for those that are slow on the trigger there. And so Jeremiah 30 and 7, for that day is great, and that is that, that day of the Lord that we're talking about in regards to the beginning of the tribulation and through that, that, that subsequent seven years. It is that time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. And what we're going to find as we begin to study chapters, uh, the continuation chapters 4 through 18, is that, it's, that the total period is designed to save him out of that trouble, to save Israel out of this 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 really age-long and 2,000-year uh, uh, period of time where they've been in trouble because they rejected the Messiah. Now, I want you to think about that. That day is great. That day is great. Circle it, underline it. Because I want you to look at something else in regards to this. The book of Acts, chapter 2, 14 through 21. Acts 2, 14 through 21. Listen to what it says. And I'm going to talk about this. this that, that day is great and who it's really pertaining to versus who it's not pertaining to. It says this, it says, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Okay? Said unto who? Said unto them. Who's them? Them is you men of Judea and all that dwell in Jerusalem. So who's he speaking to? He's speaking to Jews. Okay? He's not saying you you men of the, the Gentiles, you men that dwell all over the world. He's saying you men of Judea and all you that dwell at Jerusalem. Be this known unto you, and hearken unto my words. He said, I'm about to tip my hand. I want to give you a revelation. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, and it's but the third hour of the day. It's 9 o'clock in the morning, so the people that you see uh, proclaiming, you, you can mock them all you want to, but I'm telling you, this is something else. He said, this is what was spoken of or prophesied by the prophet Joel. Verse 17, Acts 2. It shall come to pass in the last days, saith God. That I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. Okay, I want to I want to bring this up. You know, any good charismatic Pentecostal spirit-filled minister probably preached out of Acts two seventeen many times. You know, I, and it's going to come to pass in the last days, and I'm going to pour out my. Spirit. 
and they're saying, you know, God's going to do this mighty thing. Folks, it's already happened for us. It happened 2,000 years ago on the day of Pentecost. He poured out His Spirit on that day. The heavens were open. The Spirit of God came down. And so we're not waiting for some last day's outpouring. We have the, the person of the Holy Spirit inside of us. And so because we've received Him because of our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, but his audience is not, quote unquote, Gentiles, it's not the church. He says, it shall come to pass in the last days that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Then he says, your sons, whose sons? The sons of the Jews. Your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. He's saying, listen, I'm telling you what's happening now, but in the last days, in that day before that, that day is great, that great and notable day of the Lord, he said, also your sons and your daughters are prophesy. Your young men shall see vision. Your old men will dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and notable day of the Lord come. That great and notable day of the Lord come, right there in verse 20, is talking about the second advent, when He comes down at the revelation of, Rome, of, of Revelation chapter 19. And it will come to pass that whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so this is a promise that, you know, the Jews are mocking it then at that period of time, but there's going to be an event coming that's going to be cataclysmic. He explained it right there. And we'll see all these same things mentioned in verse, uh, verses 19 and 20 uh, as we study deeper into the Revelation. But you're going to see he's given a promise that, listen, you're mocking, you're saying these things, but I'm going to raise up and we'll see 144,000 uh, spirit-filled Jewish evangelists going to be raised up here in the next few chapters that are going to be preaching this message that he's talking about. And so now I want you to jump back down. We're talking about that the day is great in Jeremiah 30 and 7. The great and notable day of the Lord in Acts 2.20. Now I want you to look at the, the prophet Zephaniah. The prophet Zephaniah, chapter 1, verse 14. Zephaniah 1.14. Then I'm going to jump. I'm going to read all the way through because when they originally wrote this, there wasn't the chapter break. I'm going to read through verse 2 of the next chapter as well. Of chapter 2. And here's what it says. Speaking to the prophet Zephaniah under the Old Covenant, the covenant he made with Israel. Okay, The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hastily greatly, even the voice of the day of the Lord. Listen to that, the voice of the day of the Lord. The mighty men shall cry there bitterly. That day is a day of wrath. Okay, A day of trouble, just as it said in Jeremiah 30 and 7, a day of Wasteness and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness. What does it say right up there in verse uh, 20? The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood. It's talking about the same thing. A day of the trumpet. Okay, we saw that over here in Revelation 4.1. A day of the trumpet alarm against the fenced cities and against the high towers. And I will bring distress upon men that they shall walk like blind men. Because they have sinned against the Lord, and their blood shall be poured out as dust, and their flesh as the dung. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath. But the whole land shall be devoured by the fire of his jealousy, and he shall make even speedily riddance of all them that dwell in the land. Now, folks, remember that whole Zephaniah 1.14 through 2.2, because you're going to see every bit of these things transpire as we study the Revelation. Then list what, he, list what he says. I'm going to jump down to the next chapter. Gather yourselves together. Yea, gather together, O nation, 
that was not desired. So he's speaking specifically of the nation of Israel, that people that make that comprise it, the Jewish people. Before the decree bring forth, uh, before the day pass as the chaff, before the fierce anger of the Lord come up against you, before the day of the Lord's anger will come upon you. So all of that right there, speaking of the day of the Lord, the day of His wrath, all of that is the exact same thing. We, we're, we're, we're seeing it in, in, in Revelation chapter 4.1. We're seeing it in Jeremiah 30 and 7. We're seeing it in Acts chapter 2. We're seeing it right here in Zephaniah chapter 1.14 through 2.2. 2. But I want you to notice a couple things here as we're looking at this. Verse 14 says, The voice of the day of the Lord. The voice of the day of the Lord. Our point is... Who is the tribulation period for versus who it's not? Okay, The voice of the day of the Lord. The voice, once again, is mentioned in Revelation 4.1. Is that trigger point and that change? It's that point that he was specifically speaking to 16 times. He mentioned the church and all of a sudden, boom, there's a trigger point. Or there's that Methuselah. Can I use that term? There's a Methuselah that takes place or an accentuated pause in regards to man. There's something that happens that signals or marks the beginning of something else. What's interesting, I don't think I mentioned this yesterday. If if, if I did, uh, you can remind me. But Methuselah also means, in its Hebrew connotation, it means his death will bring. Did I bring it up yesterday? Methuselah also means his death will bring. And, you know, in this case, what it brought, uh, literally with Methuselah, it brought the flood, which was a type of the tribulation. Okay? His death will bring. It's that accentuated trigger point. We see it here in Zephaniah. We saw it in Acts. We see it in Jeremiah. That day of the Lord, that trigger point that's going to happen. And so it was the type of the tribulation. So when he was, Methuselah, taken out of the way by death, then what it did, it allowed for the flood to come and destroy all but eight of the inhabitants of the earth. We spoke of Methuselah being a type of God's grace, a type of era, a type of extended period of time that God was bringing mercy to his people. And so just as he was taken out of the way at his death, so the church is, when it's taken out of the way, by its death, by we, we, we cast off this, this old life through its death, what's going to do? It's going to mark the beginning of the Great Tribulation. As uh, it, it speaks of with, with Methuselah, and when it spoke of with, in, in Genesis, we're, we're talking about a, a, a tribulation then that was talking about water. But he says that I'll never send water or a flood upon the earth again. He says the next time it's going to be Fire And so what did it prophesy right here in Zephaniah? It talks about that day it's going to pass, the anger of the Lord. The day of the Lord's going to come upon you. It speaks of that fire that's going to come upon us or upon the inhabitants of the earth in, in verse 18. Neither their silver, their gold shall be able to deliver them the day of the Lord's wrath, but the whole land shall be devoured by the fire of his jealousy. Okay? Key in that too. We'll see it as we get into the, the four horsemen of the apocalypse when, when they, their gold and silver, per, silver perishes. So you're going to see how even the book of Zephaniah ties directly in to the revelation as well. So the church is taken out of the way and it, it, it's, its death shall bring forth something. Now look what verse 5 said uh, right there as well. It says, the day, or excuse me, verse 15 in Zephaniah chapter 1. Verse 15 of Zephaniah chapter 1. That last one was the voice of the day of the Lord was verse 14 of Zephaniah. Now look at verse 15. It says the day of his wrath. What's that called? It's called the day of his wrath. Now, here's where I want to show you who that applies to versus who it doesn't. Turn to book, the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 1 through 11. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verses 1 through 11. Here's what it says. It says, but at the times of the seasons, brethren, you do not have need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Look what he says. He said, 
But the times and the seasons, brethren, he said, you have no need that I write unto you. Why would he not? Why would why would he say that they have no need that he writes unto them? Because it's already understood that they know. You see what I'm saying? I don't need to tell you this again because you yourselves, and he answers it right there in verse 2, because you know perfectly well that the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction shall come upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But you brethren, this is why he didn't have to tell them, you're not in darkness that the day should overtake you as a thief. That's why I have no need to write to you. Verse 5, you are all the children of the light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep in the night and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us, who? Let us, the church, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and of love for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Verse 9, check this out. For God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's giving them, and I'm going to read this. He died for us, whether we be awake or asleep, that we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as you also do. So, folks, here's the deal. He's, he's, he's telling in Zeph, uh, Zephaniah, he's telling in Jeremiah, he's telling in the book of Acts. He, he's given a promise that there's a day of wrath that is coming upon the world, that, that the Jews are going to be a part of it. He's telling them, listen, you're going to be a part of it. The trump's going to sound. The, just as it says right there, the day of the trumpet alarm will, will come. Zephaniah 1.16. It's going to happen, but don't fear. I'm bringing this for you. I'm, this is a reason for you. Then he tells us in 1 Thessalonians 1.5, speaking to a different audience, the church, the body of Christ, he said, I want you to know something. You don't need to worry about it. I don't need to tell you this because you already know you need to be comforted by these words. You are not appointed under wrath. You do not have a, an appointment. You do not have a destiny. There's no reason for you to be a part of this wrath that's going to come upon the world. Do you see that? We don't have an appointment with that. Folks, you know what it's like? And I want to give you an example of this by, by taking you to, to remembrance of what we talked about in our last class about the, the, the parable of the foolish virgins out of Matthew chapter 25. Would you remember something? I want to read those, those 13 verses to you out of Matthew 25, 1 through 13. Just in regards to, to this. Here's what he said. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to the ten virgins which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. Who's the bridegroom? Jesus. Five of them were wise and five were foolish, but they that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom comes, go out to meet him. Then all those uh, virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us. But go ye therefore and buy and sell and buy for yourself. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they were ready. That, and, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterwards came the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I, I, I know you not. Watch therefore, because you do not know the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man comes. Folks, you know what this is right there? And we touched on it in a different aspect. This is really kind of a, a, a foretelling of the covenant that's been extended to the Gentiles and the fact that the Jews will have to endure the tribulation in order to be brought back to the place of the covenant. And so, for those that sleep, we, we see this up here in, in 1 Thessalonians 5, those that sleep are in the night. 
Who were those that were of the night? The five foolish virgins. They were the ones speaking of the Jews. Remember who God, uh, Matthew's gospel is targeted to, though? It's, it's targeted towards the Jews. This gospel was written very, a very Jewish, uh, type of, of, of writing and understanding the, the, the chronologies and everything that's given in the book of Matthew has completely a Jewish audience. So even the prophetic words of, of it are, are really geared towards the Jews. And so it's targeted towards the Jew, Jewish audience before, and I want to say this, before the rejection of Jesus as Messiah. And so he's given them a prophetic word in regards to what's going to happen within the course of that covenant, but it was before they rejected Jesus as Messiah. I want, I want to show you something. We've talked about, we talked about it when we studied the, the Revelation. We'll talk about it, excuse me, we talked about it when we studied Romans. Talk about it in, in the Revelation. You'll see it in, in various places of Scripture called the uh, uh, parenthetical statement. Or it's something that's taken, you, you see something written, and all of a sudden there's, a, there's something that's inserted that it's like, it's, is this redundant? Is this something else? No, it's a deeper uh, explanation of what you've already read. And we'll see that as we look at uh, the, the, the Revelation. You'll see it seems like there's almost a, a, a break in the, the chronological pattern of what's going on. You see it in Genesis. He talks about he created man in his own image. Then the chapter over, it's almost like he repeats everything. But he gets into more vivid detail. Now, I'll, Matthew 25 is the exact same way. You may not have caught it, but check this out. I want, you, I want you to look at this, how it was really written. Matthew 25, 1 through 4, is the whole synopsis of what he's going to be talking about in 5 through 13. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise and five were foolish. They were, that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took their vessels with their lamps. See, I can end right there, and I've got the parable. Right? I've got five wise, five foolish, five took their lamps, five took their lamps with oil. There's the parable. Five wise equals the, the church, five foolish equals the Jews. The foolish took their lamps. In other words, they took their promise, or they, they took the, the history that they have, or the covenant they have, but they took no oil, or they did not have the indwelling of the Spirit. They did not receive the Messiah. The foolish uh, 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 did not take the wise. They received the promise, and so they had the oil. I could stop right there, but he didn't stop. What did he do? He gave us this parenthetical statement. He gave us a detail of it, what he's talking about when he picks up in verse 5. And he starts over. He, he could say the kingdom of God, the of heaven is like unto ten virgins. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. When? While the bridegroom tarried. Folks, what is that? It's the ter See, sometimes I think what we do is we think while the bridegroom tarried, we immediately think it's, you know, when's Jesus going to come back? But think about this for a second. We talked about this uh, kind of given a, a history from, from Adam, from the fall, until when? Until Abraham, the first covenant was 2,000 years. From Abraham, the first covenant, to the new covenant in Christ Jesus was 2,000 years. From the time of the fall until Jesus came, the bridegroom tarried. He was not there for 4,000 years. And so it's saying, listen, from that time, they all slept. There was no revelation. There was no wake-up call for anybody during that whole period of time. Why? They tried. They tried the law. The law didn't work. They had to kill the lamb every time. They tried all these things. They always came up short. And so what happened? Jesus had to come, and they all slumbered and slept. At midnight, though, there was a cry made. Behold, the bridegroom comes. Go out to meet him. Then all the virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for you, uh, for us and you. But go and rather and buy and sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, 
The bridegroom came, and they were ready. Uh, they were ready. Went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. While all ter- tarried and slept and slumbered, or in, before that covenant was extended to the Gentiles. That's when everybody slept and slumbered. Everybody was in the same boat. But when they rejected the Messiah, what happened? It woke us up, so to speak. And we, as First Thessalonians says, we ceased to be those that slept. And we were children of the light. We woke up. Why? Because the Spirit of God came upon us. So as this covenant was extended, we woke up from our sleep. Look what it says. 1 Thessalonians 5, 4 through 11. Brethren, you are not in darkness that that day would overtake you as a thief. You are not children of the light. In other words, you're not asleep, but you're children of the day. We are not of the night or of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as the others do, as the five foolish virgins do. But let us watch and be sober for they that sleep in the night and they that drunken are drunken in the night. Okay? you, you got to see how that all works together. Matthew 25, 6. Jump to that again. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom comes. Go you out to meet him. You know what that cry was? What is that cry? Have any idea? The voice. The, voice. the, trumpet. the trumpet. Well, it said a cry made, go out to meet him. So what would they say? A cry was made, let me read it, verse 6. A cry was made, the bridegroom come, and they all arose and trimmed their lamps. Foolish said to the wise, give us your oil. But the wise answered, no lot says so. So there was, a, there was a period of time. There was a dialogue that took place. And so it wasn't that instantaneous, the cry was made, boop, the, 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 the wise virgins are gone. What happened? There became a dialogue about something going on. Do you see that? And what was the, the dialogue? It was about this whole issue of the oil. It was a warning. It was a warning. It was a wake-up call. And and the dialogue became about the Holy Spirit. Folks, here's the thing about it is. When the Holy Spirit comes, He's the one that leads and guides us into all truth. No man can call Christ Lord except... How? No man calls Christ Lord except the Spirit draw them. Except it be by the Holy Spirit. And so, because we receive the oil, we receive the benefit of seeing the Messiah. Can you see that? And so the foolish virgins, they didn't because their eyes had been blinded by their unbelief. But the wise virgins, they were able to see because they had received the oil that brought conviction of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. He, so the cry was made or the gospel was preached to the Gentiles, go out to meet him. Now, it says in, in, in the King James, it says, go ye out to meet him. And so when I say go ye... Chances are you're not immediately going to think of, 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 of 1 Thessalonians 5. You're not going to speak, uh, think of Matthew 25. What are you going to speak, think of? You're going to speak of Mark 16, 15. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those that believe and are baptized shall be saved. Those that believe not are going to be damned. And these signs will follow them that believe in my name. By what? The Holy Spirit. They'll cast out devils. They'll speak with new tongues. They'll, 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 they'll lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. If they drink any deadly thing, it won't harm them. If they take up a serpent, it won't. You hear, see what I'm saying? And so that cry that was made was the gospel being preached. And the go you out to meet him is that call or the foreshadowing of the great commission that's going to be extended to the church. Can you see that? Now, I want you to look at something else. Romans chapter 13, verses 11 and 12. Romans 13, 11 and 12. Knowing the time, now it is high time to awake out of your sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of 
light. And so, folks, really, with, with, with Romans, what he's telling us is, listen, it, the, the time is at hand. The time that the bridegroom is coming, the, the, the time that, 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 uh, from the time that the cry went out that said he's going to come to the time that, 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 that our departure is at hand, it's, it's high time. We've got to cast off the works of darkness. Anything that would associate us with that previous covenant, with the failure of the foolish virgins, we've got to now associate ourselves with righteousness. Why? Because... After this, I looked, and behold, the door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was, it were, a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up here, and I will show you things which must come hereafter. After this, what? The church. Things that come thereafter. Thereafter what? The blast of the trumpet. What is that? Well, I'm glad you asked. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 and 18. First Thessalonians 4, 16 and 18. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ. Dead in who? Christ. The dead of the old covenant? No. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. Now, now folks, if I sit here today and I told you, hey, listen, guys, you love God, but you're going to have to go through the tribulation. You're going to have to suffer some major tragedies. You're going to, there's some major things that are going to be happening that are far more than any type of tribulation experience now. Would that be very comforting to you? Wouldn't be. It'd be unsettling, wouldn't it? Very unsettling. Regardless of how confident you are with your walk with the Lord or not, it'd be a very unsettling experience. But look what he said. He said, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, Right? And with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God. Now, look at that and just really just overlay it in your mind with, with verse 1 of chapter 4. After this, behold, the door was opened to heaven, and the first voice which I heard was the voice of a trumpet, voice, trumpet as it were, uh, talking with me, which said, Come up here, and I will show you things which must shortly come thereafter. Turn back to verse, to chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as a trumpet. Okay? You, you see it repeated. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, first and last, what you see, right? And so he gives that, that chronology of the, uh, of the, the church age. And I, as I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And you begin to see what that was. Now, now, folks, I didn't bring this up before because I want you to see it now. I didn't bring it up when we talked about chapter 1. What you see in verse 10 through 13, through 17, really, uh, through 16, is the kind of the, the new outline for what's going to happen. I was in the Spirit of the Lord's day. I heard behind me a great voice. There's the rapture. He talks about the, 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 the events that, that he's going to be prophesying about. Then what happens, he cuts directly to the revelation that we're going to see in chapter 19. Now read chapter 19 versus those, and what do you see? You just see a more vivid detail of who he was able to see. The one who had uh, eyes like that flame of fire and, and, and hair like white wool. And so you, once again, you, you, he's laying out in verse, uh, uh, verse 10 through 16 exactly what's going to unfold in the, the revelation. We told you this before, I'm going to give you things that are the things that will be and must shortly come to pass? Doesn't it all tie in? And if we'll just look at it, boom, 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 it begins to, to unfold. I know this is a whole ton of stuff to take in in, in a short amount of time. That's why I've been trying to, 
trying to just give it to kind of to you in, dose, uh, in doses. And so back to 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 18, kind of into chapter 4, verse 1. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Folks, this is a picture of the rapture. We which are alive shall be, and, and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds and meet the Lord in the air shall be forever and ever and ever and ever. And so if I'm going to look at verse 1 of chapter 4, I've got to go back. There's a rule in, in biblical interpretation called the law of first reference. The law of first reference. In other words, if I'm seeing something, I'm seeing the language, I'm seeing the mention of something, I've got to go back in Scripture and see what it's talking about. And so if I'm going to go back and I'm going to find, okay, where's the similarity in what John saw versus what Paul spoke to the church at Thessalonica? Well, I've got to look at those two things. And if I want to keep them in context, it's called exegesis. When, when, I, when I look at a word, uh, hermeneutics is when I take the whole ta- totality of the Scripture. Exegesis is when we're pulling these words out, like Methuselah, and we're looking at those words. It's E-X-E-G-I-S-I-S, not exegesis, Jesus, but it's exegesis. And, and what that means is I'm looking, I'm extracting from those meanings that he gives us. Hermeneutics is when I'm taking the whole of Scripture like we're doing by going to Zephaniah and going to Matthew and going to, to the Revelation and looking at Daniel and various other places and pulling those things together to give a, a, a common thought. And so if I'm using that per, uh, proper hermeneutics in the Scripture, I'm going to overlay that with that verse and say, what was that law of first reference? Well, I know what it is. He's given a comfort to those that are in Christ Jesus that the trump's going to sound, that the voice of the archangel... The dead in Christ are going to rise first. Or in other words, hey, look, after that church age, the door was opened to what? Our spiritual ark that we talked about. And that voice of the trumpet said, come up here, or you're going to have that that, that snatching away, that catching away. Then I'm going to show you the things which must come to pass. Now I'm going to look at verse 2. I'm not done with verse 1, but I'm going to look at verse 2 just for a second. And immediately, when? And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one that was set upon him. Now, now, folks, listen. How many times have we talked about this in our study? He said, listen, it's not going to overtake you as a thief. But in a moment and in a twinkling of an eye. How quick is that? That's immediately, isn't it? He said, we will be changed. And where are we going to be? To be Absent from the body, to be absent from this physical realm is going to be in the presence of the Lord. It says, something's going to happen. Boom, there's going to be a trump sound. I'm going to hear the voice of God. And it says, immediately, I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one that set, then there was one that sat upon the throne. And we know who that one that sat upon the throne was. And it goes on to describe it, and we'll talk about that when we get into these, these uh, verses 3 through 11 uh, of this verse. But what I want you to see is just that, that blessed promise that's been extended to every single one of us in regards to the rapture of the church. Folks, listen. Uh, like I said, there's been so much debate, uh, you know, mid-trib, post-trib, but as I mentioned yesterday, it wasn't as though, you know, it rained, you know, 15 days, then they were able to go into the ark. Or it rained, you know, 20 days, and they mid-flood, mid they were able to go into the ark. But they went into the ark, and as soon as they went into the ark, the door was shut. Just like we saw with the foolish virgins of Matthew 25. They went, after that gospel was preached, they didn't, they didn't want to participate with the oil in advance. So the door was shut to them, and it wasn't open. Until... We fast forward 2,000 years, the day of Jacob's trouble, the 70th week of Daniel clicks in, 
and they're going to get an opportunity, but only after this time of severe testing, this time of severe trial, this time of severe anguish that they have to, to go through. I'm going to give you a couple other things real quick to wrap these things down. You said, not anything else. Uh, the door was opened in heaven. Oh, let me find my, my note. Okay, here's what he says. Luke 13, 23. Luke 13, 23. It says, Then says the Lord unto them, Lord, are there few that just be saved? And he said unto them, Strive to enter in the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. When once the master of the house has risen up and has shut the door, and ye began to stand outside and knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open up unto us, and he shall say unto you, I know not where you are. Then shall he, he began to say, We have eaten and drunk in your presence, and you have taught in our streets. And he shall say, I tell you, I know not from where you come. Depart from me. All you workers of iniquity, and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you shall see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, and you yourself thrust out. And they shall come from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south, and shall sit down in the kingdom. And behold, there are, uh, there are last which shall be first, and the first shall be last. And so, folks, look at that, that prophetic word to the Jews right there in, in the Gospel of Luke. He's saying, listen, I'm telling you prophetically the door is going to be shut to you. And you're going to, you're going to look at the testimony of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, and you're going to have to experience this time of, of Jacob's trouble, but you yourself are going to be thrust out. Thrust out from what? Thrust out from that opportunity to be taken out of that appointment with wrath. And so that open door, that gate into heavenly places, folks, is really figured in with the Jews in that Feast of Trumpets, which really had kind of, it was the parallel to the, to the rapture. And, and, you know, you talk about, uh, excuse me, I'm choking this morning. You talk about post people that aren't even informed about Christianity. You know, there's a concept about the gates, the gates of heaven. The gates, and you'll take people say, well, one day I'm going to stand before the pearly gates, or I'm going to go and old St. Peter's going to be there. And so when he's talking about these gates, even the most unlearned realize that there's a gate. There's a way that has to be some type of, of passageway. And so look at Ezekiel 46, in a, uh, verse 1. 46, 1. It says, Thus saith the Lord God, the gate of the inner court that faces each shall be shut on the sixth workings day, but the seventh day shall be opened. On the day of the new moon it shall be Open. Folks, why is that important? It's because, once again, the day was shut. I love this. Thus saith the Lord, the gate of the inner court that faces east shall be shut six working days, but the Sabbath day shall be open on the day of the new moon. It shall be shut. Now, this is a Jewish prophet, Ezekiel. What do we talk about? Those 6,000 years, right? 6,000 years for the Jews, the gate has been shut. But what? On the sixth day of the new moon, it will be open. Folks, that's when they're going to be able to enter in to that thousand-year millennial reign. Isaiah 26.2 Open ye the gates that the righteous nations will keep the truth may enter in. Psalms 118.19 Open to me the gates of righteousness and I will go into them and I will praise the Lord. Psalms 118.20 This gate of the Lord in which the righteous shall enter. Who shall enter? The righteous shall enter. John 10.17 Then said Jesus unto them, Truly I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. I am the, excuse me, I am the door of the sheep. I am the door by me. If any man entered, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Folks, the whole point I want to make right there 
is that there's this door, there's this gate that's open. That door has been shut to the Jews until that sixth day, until that millennial reign of Christ. But that door was opened to us through the covenant that we have with Him. We do not have an appointment with that day of wrath as they do. That's going to bring judgment upon them. That's going to bring correction. But, praise God, it's going to bring the fulfillment of that covenant that God had promised unto Abraham. I'm out of time today and you're probably saying praise God for it because I've got writer's cramp. But uh, we're going we're gonna to be jumping into verse 2 and, and really uh, verses... What is that? That's funny. We're going uh, to be able to look at 3 through 11 kind of in a, in a conglomeration of those verses because it's really kind of a descriptive verse. But I just want you to really know, folks, that for those that overcome, those that trust in the Lord, there is such a promise of victory for us. There's a promise that, that we're not appointed unto wrath because of uh, Jesus bore that upon His body. The wrath of God was poured out upon Him. And so we don't need it poured back upon us. You know what it's really like in liking it unto the foolish virgins? It'd be like saying, you know what, I've got a bride, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to subject my bride to the atrocities of the world before I marry her. No man would ever do that. What does a man want to do to his bride? He wants to protect her. Why do I say that? Because I know what Ephesians chapter 5 says. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Right? And so no man yet hateth his own flesh. And he said, you know what, this kind of sounds confusing, but I speak a mystery. I speak concerning Christ and his church a man is going to lay down his life he's not going to say you know what honey i went to war for you i went and 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 and, and bore the brunt of the the pain for you <coughs> but you know what i'm going to do i'm going to now throw you to the wolves <laughs> folks we're his bride and we're the ones called his bride the jews are never called his bride they're the friend of the bridegroom we've got to go today but i love you so much appreciate you for joining us we'll be back tomorrow for another edition of the raven institute of ministry and biblical studies uh, 9 o'clock a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Got one bit of advice for you today as I'm trying to catch my breath. Get into God's Word. And God's Word will get into you.